one. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. It's a momentous day. It is primary election day, of course, and we hope you have voted if you are eligible to vote. Later on in the show, I think we're going to go over how we voted and share that with you for whatever it may be worth, which is probably, well, not much. But first, we start because we have with a very special guest, uh, Stephen Wright. So I'd like to start, if I might, Monty, by asking you a question or two. Why do you want to ask me a question when Stephen Wright is here? Well, I think Stephen might have something to say about it. So here is the the question for you, Monty. Why is Stephen Wright on our show today? It's multiple choice. A... Because 9 o'clock in the morning with insufficient coffee, coffee on radio where you can't see the audience and you can't use any words that your Catholic second grade teacher wouldn't approve of is a great place to perform comedy. That's A. Or B. Stephen Wright got his start on Johnny Carson 1982 and the Bill Newman show on a small radio show, not in prime time with a co-host named after a card game. That seemed like a great follow-up gig. Or C. He was researching places in America where there was one pot shot for every man, woman, and child and guess what he discovered, or D, something else. What do you say, Monty? You decided to write jokes when you were going to have a professional comedian on, Yeah, huh? it was a bad mistake, <laughs> bad mistake. Uh, I would say he's coming to the Academy of Music, and most of all of the above, for what the, uh, the questionnaire had to say. Okay, which would be Friday, September 16th at 8 o'clock at the Academy of Music. Stephen Wright, how did Monty do on our quiz? I thought he did on a scale of 1 to 10, he did a 10. Oh, thank you, Stephen Wright. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, uh, you're coming to Northampton. Where else are you going to be before and after us? Oh, I'll be in uh, Philadelphia and Columbus, Ohio, and somewhere else. And then, uh, and after you, I'll be in Ridgefield, Connecticut. And then, uh, then I think I go down to Florida-ish. <laughs> <laughs> uh so t- tell me this. You, you were uh, raised in Burlington, Massachusetts. You went to Emerson. You have uh, some allegiances or uh, feelings about being part of Massachusetts? Well, I, 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 yes, it's ingrained in my being. I mean, I love Massachusetts. I left for 25 years. I lived in New York and Los Angeles, and then I came back several years ago. If you're asking me, I don't have anything funny to say about it. I can't think of anything funny. Uh, I like the attitude, the comedy attitude, the general attitude. You know, the country is so big. The United States is so big. It's like 10 different countries all named one thing. And New England, Massachusetts is its own little thing. I love it. I'd be interested to know this. I was uh, reading some of your bio in preparation for this morning's show. And I was wondering which one of the movies that you've been in that you you like the most or that you feel most fondly about. I would say Reservoir Dogs. Classic. Because because that movie, you know, Quentin Tarantino's first movie, and he he had a that was just groundbreaking into a whole other way of making movies. So I was happy to be part of that. Uh. In the movies, uh, going back to words we cannot say on the radio, uh, uh, you were in The Aristocrats, which was one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Of course, we can't oh, yeah. use any of those words. Uh, was that fun? And did you actually get to perform with any of the other uh, stand-ups and uh, uh, comics and comedians who were on that show? 
No, now that you mention it, it was just uh, the film crew and just me talking. I didn't really. I knew I knew many many of the other people, but I didn't see them at the actual filming. That was a that was a fun movie. That was that was Penn uh, Gillette putting that together. It was he, he was he's amazing. That's a funny movie, and you get to see the uh, the the, tri- the great Bob Saget. It's just uh, what a comedian, and can't I still can't believe he passed away, and 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 he was in that, and you know you get to see the other side of him from the clean TV guy version, and and so it, it was hilarious. All movies hilarious. Stephen Wright, you tell us you're going to be on the road doing a lot of live shows, and. I was wondering if you could tell us what you use or look at uh, for uh, material, what you say. You look at the front page, and it's a horrible day in the front page of the newspaper, and you say, oh, there's a lot of material here. Or you look at the front page, it's a lot of horrible news, and you say, nah, I can't touch this. Uh, Where does the material come from in a time and age that is as fraught as the days we live in now? I I don't like I read the paper, but I don't look at it for comedy. I don't really look at anything for comedy. I my from the time anyone wakes up to when they go to sleep, <clears throat> there's like a million pieces of information going past you. You hear a word, you see, you talk to someone, something happens, you see something walk by. So it's like it's all from noticing. I just notice things, and I and I'm not trying to notice things my mind is like scanning subconsciously i I just see things and i oh that could mean that instead of that or you know like like that so it's i'm just i get it from watching the world essentially when we cut the promo for today's show for you we had i don't know quite how to describe this an awkward pause and you're kind of you're not kind of. You are this master of the awkward pause, the the uncomfortable silence. Please don't do that to us now, please. Um, uh, how, how, how did you come to that, or was that something that was just part of who you are and were? You know, when you start doing stand-up, you're, you're the teacher and the student in, at the same time. I didn't know this till I looked back on it. So you're on the stage, and the stage is very heightened atmosphere. Everything is magnified because you're being watched by the audience. So your mind is going a million miles an hour. So everything that works, you remember. Everything that doesn't work, you remember. And the pause thing probably happened because I paused by accident, but I knew somehow it made the joke better because the pause was longer. It was all learning on the stage, learning that on the stage. There's like two things. It was writing the material before I even set it on the stage. And then when it's set on the stage, it's, it's another life to the material. And so that was probably an accident that I remembered. And then I did it on purpose. Your bio says, and it's, it's kind of what I remember, and you can tell me I got this all wrong. That would be helpful. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you got it wrong. I was, born in Japan. <laughs> I was raised in the Philippines. And how did that work out? That's why I'm back. What's that? And how did that work out? Not bad. <laughs> um, 
the big break in, in your career was appearing on the Johnny Carson show. How did that? How did that come about? Um, there was a weird rest club in Cambridge, Massachusetts, the Dingho Comedy Club. It was half a Chinese restaurant, half a comedy club. And somebody wrote an article about it, and then it went into the L.A. Times. I don't even know why. And then the producer of The Tonight Show, Peter Sal, he went to... A year later, he went to uh, Massachusetts to look at colleges for his kids because they were going to go to college. And then he remembered the club, so he called up and he said, I want to go into the club and watch a show so he did and i was one of the comedians and then three weeks later i was on the tonight show it was like a fairy tale <laughs> wow was 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 doing this as as a as a job as a profession was this something that you had dreamed about growing up or got into when you were you know six years old or something or well did... no i would watch the tonight show starting when i was like 14 years old i started watching it all the time and i loved johnny and i loved comedians i'd never seen comedians before richard pryor and david brenner and carlin and all you know robert klein and i thought wouldn't it be amazing to be one of these people that that does that so i got in my head when i was about 16 that that's what i that would be really what i would like to do so i'd like to go back if i might for one second to the movies you've been in i know you uh Desperately Seeking Susan, really funny film. So I Married an Axe Murderer, um, uh, and, and others. D did film change? Being in film change how you do your stand-up? You know what? That's a great question. No one's ever asked me that question, and I have to say it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why no one's and that's why that. no one has ever asked that question before no, monty no, do you have something no, anything think, you no. well you uh you I mentioned that, oh go ahead i think that's really an amazing question i never heard that question it's a, a logical question but it, it it didn't be the movies are like little 20 second performances you know the action and then 20 seconds later cut and over and over and over and the and the and the Stand-up is like one 85-minute take. Anyway, it didn't change it, but thank you for asking me that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I did. Monty, well, why don't you try something? Yeah, Anything. We, you, you were mentioning the aristocrats before, and uh, you mentioned Penn Jillette, who grew up in Greenfield, which is within our listening area, but you also have a relationship to Northampton, don't you? I didn't know he was from Greenfield. Yeah, that's where he's from originally. Yep. Oh. Yes, uh... And uh, in the mid-'80s, when I lived in Manhattan, I went out and rented a place in Northampton for one winter. And when I wasn't on the road, I would go there on the weekends and hang out in the town and everything. And there was a bar, Hugo's. Is that still there? Hugo's is not. It's like a bike shop now. But ye old beer can museum right down the street is still there. The what museum? The ye old beer can museum. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that was there. But anyway, <laughs> I, I love that town. I've always loved that town. What year were you here? Uh, like 87, 88. Yeah, sorry I missed you then. <laughs> <laughs> so 
do you like being on the road? Do you like uh, going place to place? It sounds arduous to me, but maybe it's just all energizing. I, I, I travel with a road manager. I've been with him for 25 years, and we have a lot of fun on the road. And I mean, get it, I mean, I love doing the show. The travel is like you just got to go through it. You know, you just deal with it. But I do it in order to get to do the show. And I love doing the show. I love making stuff up. I love, it's like playing with finger paints, but with words. It's just, I love making <laughs> stuff up and figuring out what works. And I like being in front of the audience. Uh, when you're on stage, uh, do you know where uh, your, your monologue is going? Is it really planned out, or is there a fair amount really of uh, uh, literally improvising along the way? Yes, I have to say in about two minutes, i got to do another <laughs> interview. Okay. No, really. No, but I'll answer your question. I know it, I have it all. I used to figure it out when I was on stage, but then it got too complicated because there was too many jokes. So then now I know right from the beginning all the way to the end, like a play, so, but I, I know the whole thing, and I know where there's spots where I'll try new jokes, and it, I know everywhere it's, where it's going to go. It's much easier that way. Okay. Well, we'll let you go to your next interview, which we really appreciate. Stephen Wright will be at the Academy of Music Friday, September 16th. This Friday at 8 o'clock. Tickets are really going quickly. If you want to see this show and Stephen Wright, you want to get your tickets now, today. You really want to do it. Stephen Wright, it's just been a pleasure and an honor to speak with you. Thank you so very much for being with us, and thank you for coming to North, back to Northampton. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the uh, interview. Thank you very much. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. In the mood for takeout? Want to find yoga classes, music lessons, or art supplies nearby? Save 30% on full-value gift certificates to dozens of local businesses and services from Springfield to Brattleboro and everywhere in between. Whether it's a quick bite for lunch, something nice for a special occasion, or just an excuse for some good old retail therapy. Save 30% on full-value gift certificates at the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you, until now. Now when you call, we'll answer, and if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. But what are we drinking in the wine bunker today? Random white wine. Yes. All right. Hello, I'm Random White Guy, and I'm going to be drinking random white wine. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. The first one here is the uh, Gomez Cruzado from the Haro region of Rioja, and this is a white wine. Now, most people might be familiar with Viora, but this is also blended with 25% Tempranillo Blanco. I always forget that that's even a thing. 
don't we all? The first sip almost seems puckering dry, but it really rounds out. A couple more sips into it, it and it is lush and creamy. But it's not so creamy without acid. There's like a, there is yeah. a little bit of acid yeah, in there. When it's too creamy, I get really bored and yeah. it's like what they call flabby, but with the acid, it braces it and it makes it really yeah. good. This, this I want like scallops. <laughs> you mean scallops? I don't care. I want them. I care. Scallops. There we go, thank you. Find your favorite wine and your next favorite wine at State Street. Do you know what's going on in business in Western Mass? You do if you read Business West. Find out which companies are growing, which companies are innovating. Learn about people on the move, people taking the lead. Every issue of Business West is packed with business news, including incorporations, building permits, real estate transactions, and bankruptcies. Pick up a copy or read Business West online. The vital business news is in Business West, the business journal of Western Mass. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. This is Crime and Punishment with Attorney John Pucci. John is a partner at Buckley Richardson, where he practices defense law, mostly white collar. He, prior to that, was an attorney with the U.S. Attorney's Office and was head of the U.S. Attorney's Office in Springfield for a time after he moved here from Philadelphia, where he prosecuted some major cases for the Department of Justice. John Pucci, thank you for being with us today, your regular time and uh, monthly appearance with us, as well as other special occasions as well. I want to ask you today in particular about what has happened with the Justice Department's, the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago, the return of the search warrant, and in particular, the judge's decision just reported that there's going to be a special master that's going to delay all this for a long time and essentially put off the investigation for something that the former attorney general, uh, Bill Barr, said was ridiculous. There shouldn't, wasn't any need for this at all. I want to get to the legal uh, basis for that order for a special master and what the special master is going to do. But before we get there, can you tell us who the judge is, how this uh, person got to be on the bench and what we know about her? Yes. So the judge is, uh, her name is Aileen Cannon. Uh, she grew up in uh, Cali, Colombia. Hmm. Um, she is 41 years old, which is really extraordinarily young for a federal judge. Um, she was appointed by Trump after he lost the election to Biden in that three or four month period while he was still president. He nominated her for the federal bench in Florida, and uh, McConnell pushed her through. Um, so that's how she got appointed. She got a lifetime appointment, quite lucrative, um, at an extraordinarily young age. Um, and her, the other part of her background that's interesting is she, at the age of 25, joined what's called the Federalist Society. The Federal Society is a right-wing group of lawyers, a pipeline to the federal judiciary, which the Republicans have used for decades now to promote and, uh, and successfully promote and push far right-wing and right-wing people into the federal judiciary. So at the age of 25, she was already a very ambitious person. 
And at the age of 40, she received her reward, uh, which was being appointed to the bench, a lifetime appointment by President Trump. So you can say, honestly, without prejudice and bias, she owes a lot to Donald Trump. She owes a lot to Trump. She also owes a lot to the Federalist Society, which, as you say, curates these individuals and then uh, uses the opportunity to uh, put them on the bench when they have that opportunity, which, of course, Trump gave them in spades. Do we know anything about what kind of law she practiced uh, in the uh, years between her joining this right-wing group? Uh, presumably right after, out of law school, 25, she was very young. Um, and uh, she must have been really kind of a true believer at that point, because otherwise, why would you join the Federalist Society? Right. So, first of all, she has a quality academic pedigree for the bench. She went to Duke University undergrad. She went to the University of Michigan Law School, which is a, a really a top law school. She graduated magna cum laude there. So she's bright. There's no doubt about that. She worked for a very large firm for a number of years. And prior to becoming a judge, she was an assistant U.S. attorney in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Miami, where she prosecuted federal criminal cases. So her background, both her pedigree and her academic pedigree and her employment history um, are strong. There's no doubt about that. But they're also shallow in the sense that at age 40, um, she's hardly what one would call a mature lawyer in terms of experience, regardless of whether her personal maturity uh, level. So uh, she was plucked out of right field, if you will, and put on the bench. Uh, in another interesting part of her background is her family, her mother in particular, fled uh, the Castro regime in, in Cuba. And so in her application to be a federal judge, she talked about how her mother had to flee the, rep quote, repressive Castro regime at age seven uh, to uh, in search of freedom and security in America. And she's part of that group of far uh, Miami Hispanic uh, far right Republicans who view themselves as victims of the Castro regime regime. In fact, many of them were. Uh, but at age 40, she was not personally that, but it's part of her family heritage. It's part of her political background. She belongs in that cell of far right wing South Florida Republicans. Is there any view that she was picked and pushed through for this position at the very end of the Trump administration because, well, should something come up around Mar-a-Lago? Not necessarily any anticipation of this specific uh, set of circumstances, but, well, she would be there for Trump? In other words, this was not fortuitous? This was really planned? Oh, I, I don't, I think that's going a bit far, Bill, frankly. Um, you know, she's one of probably 20 federal judges in Miami uh, this kind of case could have gone goes on a wheel, which randomly assigns the cases across the spectrum of those 20 judges. She was one of the 20 judges. The idea she would have been picked out in anticipation, you know, of this search happening, I think, is a, is a step beyond uh, where we might go. Okay, so that leaves us with the question of what did she do? Uh, what did Trump ask her to do? What did she do? And how does this uh, comport with the federal law, 
with regard to search and seizures and return of items that are seized pursuant to a search warrant. I did read what uh, former Attorney General Bill Barr said about this, and what he said is actually not repeatable uh, on the radio, although it was quoted in full in the New York Times. Uh, so tell us, what did she do and why did she do it? So for, to, to back up just a little bit, so um, a federal magistrate judge in Miami approved the search warrant. Federal magistrate judge is sort of a junior federal judge. It's not what is called an Article Three judge under Article Three of the U.S. Constitution. They don't get life tenure, um, but they're selected based on a merit-based system by the other judges, uh -huh, which is a different kind of way than how she was chosen by politicians. But yeah, the federal we, should, we, should, we should stop there just to explain that a bit. Article Three of the Constitution is the article that describes and sets forth the rules for the judiciary. Uh, article one is the legislative branch. Article two is the executive branch. <clears throat> Excuse me. Article three is the judicial branch. And judges, regular federal judges, are article three judges. A magistrate judge uh, is not an article three judge, but is really uh, a, uh, art, is a, an appointment uh, from the executive branch, essentially, um, uh, more an article to judge, does not have lifetime tenure, but does hear many important cases. Here's cases that are assigned by judges um, and uh, uh, often hears uh, applications for a search warrant. That is the usual uh, or a usual way in which search warrant applications are approved. Do I have that, John? Yes, you do. Okay. You got it. Okay, listen, we're going to have to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to find out what did this judge do? How unusual is it? Is Donald Trump being treated differently, given special privileges that no other person is being given in this system? We're going to answer those questions right after this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Voters across the state will hit the polls today for the midterm primary election. There are contested primaries for nearly every statewide constitutional office, as well as races for legislative seats and local offices like county sheriff. Republican Governor Charlie Baker is not running for a third term in office, leaving the governor's office vacant. While there are two Democrats on the ballot, only one of the candidates, State Attorney General Maura Healey, is still actively campaigning. Polls opened this morning at 7 a.m. and will close at 8 p.m. tonight. Holyoke may be facing legal action after informing Ward 2 Councilor Wilmer Polomota that his seat has been vacated. The city's law department issued a letter to Polomota saying the seat was vacated because of Section 46 of the city's charter, which states the office becomes vacant if the incumbent is convicted of a crime punishable by imprisonment. Polamota's attorney, Tim Mara, tells the Gazette that Polamota is presently pursuing all lawful means available to him to continue his service to the people of Holyoke. Polamota is still facing the felony child pornography charge after police allege that he paid a 17-year-old girl for nude photos in 2020. And today is the first day of black bear hunting. The season runs through September 24th and allows rifles, handguns, muzzle loaders, and archery. Hunting is allowed a half an hour before sunrise and ends a half an hour after sunset. Only one bear per hunter is allowed each calendar year, and hunting is not allowed on Sundays. 
For today, rain heavy at times. It'll be cool, high 64 to 68. Tonight, chance for showers, otherwise mostly cloudy. Overnight lows 56 to 60. And the like for Wednesday, chance for morning showers, otherwise becoming partly sunny. Highs in the lower 70s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Roche Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El concejal del Distrito 2 de la ciudad de Holyoke, Will Puello Mota, acusado de cargos de pornografía infantil, falsificación y obstrucción de la justicia en Rhode Island, fue notificado el 1 de septiembre que su escaño ahora se encuentra vacante. La acción corresponde a la sección 46 de la Carta Constitutiva de la ciudad de Holyoke. El presidente del Consejo Municipal, Todd McGee, informó además que Puello ya no recibirá un estipendio ni beneficios que corresponden a los concejales activos de la ciudad. Puello Mota fue arrestado el 11 de mayo en la base de la Guardia Nacional Aérea de Barnes en Westfield. La procuradora adjunta de la ciudad, Kathleen Degnan, quien escribió la carta a Puello Mota, le citó específicamente el motivo. La sección 46 establece, cualquier cargo establecido bajo o por esta ley, excepto el cargo de superintendente de escuelas, quedará vacante si el titular deja de ser residente de la ciudad. La condena del titular de cualquiera de tales delitos por un delito punible con pena de prisión operará para crear una vacante en el cargo que ocupa. Degnan advirtió a los concejales de la ciudad que no se involucren en los cargos contra Puello Mota, quien no ha sido condenado por ningún cargo. Por su parte, Puello Mota planea tomar acción legal contra la ciudad de Holyoke para recuperar el puesto del Distrito 2. En otras informaciones, en una victoria legal para el expresidente Donald Trump, una jueza federal accedió el lunes a su solicitud de un maestro especial para revisar los documentos incautados por el FBI en su casa de Florida y también detuvo temporalmente el uso de los registros por parte del Departamento de Justicia con con fines de investigación. La decisión de la jueza federal de distrito, Aileen Cannon, autoriza a un experto legal externo a revisar los registros tomados durante la búsqueda del 8 de agosto y eliminar del resto de la investigación cualquiera que pueda estar protegido por reclamos de privilegio abogado-cliente o privilegio ejecutivo. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with attorney John Pucci. We're talking about the federal judge having just decided <clears throat> to appoint a special master to review the documents or many of the documents that were seized at Mar-a-Lago. We were talking about during the talking about this during the break. Uh, tell us John, who do you expect the special master <clears throat> excuse me, to be, and how important is that appointment? And does this judge, Aileen, came and have carte blanche to appoint whoever she wants? It could be another member of the Federalist Society, for example? Well, the answer to the last question is yes. She can pick the special master. It's within her jurisdiction. It's not really appealable unless there was something atrocious decided. Um So the process is going to be this. She has set a deadline of Friday, tomorrow, tomorrow, Friday. Friday, three days from now. <laughs> uh, I'm rushing the weekend too, Boutine. Short week, but not that short. John, John is more focused on the illegal matters than on the days of the week. Well said. Um, so on Friday, each side is, uh, been re is required by the judge to submit a short list of Uh, uh, candidates to be special masters. So Trump will make some, some suggestions and the Department of Justice will make suggestions. 
they'll go into uh, the, the judge, uh, the district court judge, Aileen Judge Cannon, and she will pick the special master. And so the, this issue of, you know, who wants what is interesting as a special master, because if, if Trump were making his own selections without the influence of counsel, he would probably, you know, pick far right wing uh, people of suspect political uh, sensibility for, for uh, you know, way out there on a limb who might favor him, MAGA people, MAGA lawyers. If he could bring Sidney Powell back, he'd probably put her on the list. And Department of Justice under Garland, I think, is going to pick a, a list of much more reputable uh, candidates. And we'll find out from Judge Cannon's selection of the special master what kind of, you know, what kind of process she really wants. And if she picks a far right wing uh, Federalist Society member to be the special master, it's a tell. It's a tell that she is lining this thing up to give the best possible result for President Trump. If she picks somebody neutral, highly respected, highly regarded to make the make become special master, I think you, you have to get, have some credit. It'll give some credibility significant credibility to the special master process. Now, at the end of what the special master does, of course, the judge, Cannon, can either accept or reject anything and everything the special master decides. But the process ordinarily, ordinarily, is that the judge accepts the findings of the reputable special master, and they go forward as the decision of the court. And then the decision of the court is this is privileged and this is privileged and here's executive privilege. These are the parameters. It applies or it doesn't apply. And then the losing party, quote unquote, losing party can appeal that to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. And the losing party there can appeal that to the U.S. Supreme Court. So there's a pretty long process. In a normal case, it could take a long time. It could take a year to finish this. I think it's going to be happen very quickly. <laughs> Well, but it's not going to happen so quickly that it will be decided before the November election. Judge, uh, U.S. District Judge Aileen Cannon, uh, by creating this process uh, with all of the rights of appeal, uh, and not to mention the time take, it will take for the special master to review the documents, for that decision to then go back to the judge, for the judge then to review the decision of the special recommendations of the special master, and then for there to be an appeal to the 11th Circuit, which is a very conservative circuit, and then from the 11th Circuit to the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, all that is not going to happen before uh, this election in November, these midterms. So in a sense, Trump and the Republicans have won a big victory, regardless of how this turns out. Am I wrong? I beg, I beg to disagree. I mean, at most, uh, if if the special master makes reviews the records, makes recommendations uh, that the that the uh, uh, on the privilege issue, gives the documents to the U the, uh, the investigators who are doing the criminal investigation concerning these records issues. They're going to continue their investigation long after the no months after the November election date. I mean, these are not connected in time. The November election date is going to happen. This I don't foresee any real circumstance in which the federal investigation leading to a potential indictment of Donald Trump is going to be completed by November, regardless of the outcome of the special master process.
Now, John, you mentioned that there are two privileges that the special master is going to review the documents for. One, the attorney-client, that is, what things Trump may have said to his lawyers that are somehow in these documents that are privileged communications. The other, this executive privilege, things that are, well, said to the president that are intended to remain or that the law says should remain confidential, something that did not work well when uh, President Richard Nixon brought that issue before the Supreme Court, did not work out well for him. I would like to know uh, your thoughts with regard to both of these privileges and these documents, and more significantly, for you to tell our listeners what happens if the special master and then the judge and then the 11th Circuit and the Supreme Court says yes, these are privileged, or at least the judge who ruled that they were privileged was did not abuse her discretion in making that decision. What happens to these documents? Well, then even if they're privileged, the Department of Justice can seek them under what's called the crime fraud exception uh, to privilege, so that in all cases in which documents are like a lawyer and a client write to each other in the course of committing a crime, they may be superficially or initially teamed, termed attorney-client communications, which they are, but there's an enormous hole in that protection if, in fact, the communication is related to a violation of law. So, it well, no, 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 it relates to a future violation of law. I mean, if it's something about what the, well, let's, I would like to hear about that. The client can talk to the lawyer about prior crimes and talk about how to prepare a defense and how not to be, uh, create li more liability for the client. Um, but what for sure the client and the lawyer can't do is uh, engage in planning for future crimes in a cover-up, for example. So uh, you say I've got that wrong. Tell me how and why. Well, well for instance, if, if the evidence is that there were communications between um, Trump's lawyer and Trump about not disclosing these records and hiding them, obstructing the federal investigation. If those discussions took place, then even though they're communications between a lawyer and a client, which in the first instance are privileged because they're pursuant to a criminal enterprise obstructing justice, they are no longer deemed protected by the privilege. The privilege is waived. So that could be that what happens in this instance. That's the, the future crime exception to the attorney-client privilege, essentially, yes? Or the past crime. I mean, either, either way, if they, you know, we robbed the bank yesterday, and, and what are we going to do with the proceeds, Bill? If you and I, if I'm your client and we have that communication, that, that, is, that is a crime fraud exception to right. the attorney-client absolutely. Claim conversation absolutely but let me let me let me say one mention one other thing uh, uh in favor or in that balances judge cannon's decision in this she made a finding that in and she noted in her opinion that the department of justice process in which they have put in place a separate team of investigators to review for privilege from the investigative team reviewing the crime and the people investigating the privilege issues are not supposed to share information or documents they determine are privilege with the investigative team, okay? There's two different teams here. She already, in her opinion, notes that on two occasions, the Department of Justice violated their own taint procedure rules. The, the, the taint team, the, the privilege team within the Department of Justice and the FBI mistakenly shared on two occasions documents that were privileged 
with the investigative team. So she is she's looking at that and saying, do I trust this process, which has already been violated twice by the process that the Department of Justice wants to keep in place? I don't think it's unreasonable for her to have some to, to lack complete confidence in a process that they swear by, which they've already violated twice. So in some ways, this problem that has Cannon's opinion has led to is born of the mistakes made at the Department of Justice, which give her a foothold to say it isn't reliable. Well, it treats Trump differently than every other potential criminal defendant, everyone else who has been subject to a search and seizure uh, pursuant to a lawful warrant. Uh, is that right? Or do you say that's wrong? Because a lot of commentators are saying, Trump, there are special rules for Trump. Yeah, okay, the department made two mistakes. Um, so it was only 99.9% accurate in its review of these documents. Uh, now Trump has special rules for Trump, for, for a Trump judge appointed by Trump at the last minute, pushed through by McConnell. Uh, it all just looks horrible. And the criminal system the justice system is now once more tainted for the rich and the powerful. Is that wrong? Well, that, it's not, whether it is or it isn't writ large, the fact of the matter is that the process of appointing a special master to review for privileged with regards to seized documents um, is not, it happens and happens fairly routinely. The cases are rare. But in those cases where documents are seized with attorney-client privilege communications in them, there's a, there's a trend that has been emerging over the past 10 years of submitting those documents to an independent special master for review. So she's not created something that doesn't have a precedent. It, in fact, has a precedent. It's been done in the Southern District of New York with the agreement of the government, by the way, in a number of recent instances where attorney-client communication documents were seized by the government. Okay, we got to take another break. I have another question for you when we come back, which is that attorney-client privilege is an uh, area of the law that has been well-developed over, well, decades, centuries, actually, but executive privilege is kind of a unknown. There are a limited number of cases, and there'll be a huge amount of discretion in the master and the judge to say, nope, you're not going to be able to look at those documents. We're going to be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control uh, by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. I'm Congressman Richie Neal, and I'm proud to support Michael Fenton for Governor's Council. He's an accomplished attorney and an outstanding public servant who will always fight for Western Massachusetts. And I am retired judge and current Governor's Counselor Mary Hurley. Mike Fenton has the integrity, knowledge, and ability to serve as Governor's Counselor. He has my enthusiastic support. Hi, I'm Mike Fenton, candidate for Governor's Counselor. 
I respectfully ask for your vote on Tuesday, September 6th. Thank you. Paid for by the committee to elect Michael Fenton. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you. Until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this. But insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. Hi, I'm Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. Have we got some exciting news for you. I'm Mortgage Originator Jessica Eau Claire. We're extending our offer to save up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. And I'm mortgage originator Kimberly Gates. There's still time to get $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Start your application now at bestlocalbank.com or come see us in person at one of our convenient locations. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Missy Tatro. Or me, Kimberly Gates. Or me, Jessica Eau Claire, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by November 30th, be a new first mortgage customer, or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender. Member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We're back with Attorney John Pucci. This is his crime and punishment segment with us. John, we've been talking about the decision by Federal Judge Eileen Cannon to create a position of special master who she will personally appoint on almost unreviewable appointment. She says she will do that soon. That special master will then decide which documents that were seized from Mar-a-Lago, from uh, Trump's estate, uh, will or will not be turned over to the investigative team. She will review the documents to see which are privileged, that is, and cannot be disclosed, uh, because they are subject to the attorney-client privilege, and or they are, no, and, or they are uh, subject to the executive privilege of some sort, uh, which is much more amorphous. So, Tell us what that executive privilege means and how much discretion this judge will have in deciding whether or not investigators will be able to see the incriminating documents. The substance and form of executive privilege has been largely undeveloped by the courts. It's really an unknown privilege that came to birth in the Nixon in the Nixon litigation, and, it, and Trump has now used it as a blanket basis to 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 assert and claim everything is privileged. Everything is executive privilege. It's, it's undefined by the courts. Now, I will say that the Supreme Court of the United States in January this year, uh, he made that blanket privilege uh, uh, assertion with regards to records subpoenaed by the January 6th Congressional Committee. All, he claimed all executive privilege and the Supreme Court, it got to the Supreme Court very quickly and the Supreme Court 
refused to review the case. It voted essentially eight to one, eight to one. The one was Justice Thomas. Shocking. Yes, eight to one uh, with Kavanaugh filing a trouble, a little bit of a troubling side opinion, but eight to one or seven to two, no matter how you're looking at it, the Supreme Court saying we are not going to review issues from the lower courts, executive privilege. We're not taking the opportunity to define it. And it leaves, it left Trump forced to produce records. It was against his position, forced to produce records to the January 6th committee he claimed were privileged. And so it's, it's a little hard to tell. This is different. It's different circumstance and facts. But the Supreme Court clearly in that decision reflects a, uh, 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 um, an antagonism, if you will, or, or a, a place that is not interested, a court that is not interested in creating and expanding this executive privilege theory. The theory being what? The theory being that a president can assert executive privilege over everything, uh, even after they've left office. But what's the, the th- what's the theory, John? In other words, I understand, I think our listeners understand, yeah. a person speaks to their lawyer, and that's privilege. That is, no one else can intrude on that or find out about it. What is it that is being said or communicated to the president that is supposedly not subject to anyone else ever hearing it? Well, the, the, the privilege is somewhat to an attorney-client privilege in the sense that it is to encourage open dialogue between a president and his advisors, his or her advisors, such that they don't have to fear that what they talk about will be disclosed. They can bounce around ideas. They can think about things differently. They can have confidential conversations in confidence that they're not going to end up in somebody's memoir or you know in the public regime and, and and one can understand that and accept that presidents need to be able to have open dialogues with their advisors without having the press for instance you know listening in in reviewing all of those discussions confidentiality in that setting is important last question any idea how long I know we've touched on this how long this will all take when we'll have a decision from judge uh, Aileen Cannon I expect she'll appoint the special master within two weeks, 10 days to two weeks. And we'll know from that a lot more about her her integrity and the integrity of the process going forward. The special master process, I think, will take six weeks or eight weeks. John Pucci, thank you so very much. Listen, we're going to turn now. We have just a couple minutes left. It is Election Day. Please go vote. Whoever your candidates are, please go vote. It is, of course, the foundation of democracy. I've talked about whether I would talk about who I'm about to vote for, and so I will. Listen, I'm sure about this first vote. I'm voting for Maura Healy for governor. I think I have a winner there, Monty. I well, really Sonia do. Well, Diaz is still on the ballot, but uh, she may not accept your but vote. I, but I think Maura Healy uh, sh- should receive an overwhelming vote uh, to show how popular she is with the voters. For Lieutenant Governor Eric Lesser uh, against Kim Driscoll, the mayor of Salem, uh, Eric Lesser, Senator Eric Lesser, would be a spectacular lieutenant governor. I really hope he wins. He'll be great for Western Massachusetts. He'll be great for Massachusetts. He is completely qualified, and I really dislike uh, Mayor Driscoll's uh, uh, endorsement by this uh, secret dark money from a re- very, very wealthy billionaire Republican. For auditor, I am going to vote for Chris Dempsey uh, and uh, think that he is the most qualified candidate. He'll be a really excellent auditor. He was the person who was, of course, very prominent in the uh, 
turning down the Olympics in Boston. So Auditor Chris Dempsey. For Governor's Council, this is awkward for me because I know three of the lawyers who are running, and they are, I think, all qualified to be. So let me, uh, to be the Governor's Council. I do think it's important, particularly for Western Massachusetts, where we want cachet in that Governor's Council uh, for the person, lawyer, being a lawyer is really, really helpful and I think important. So let me say, I'm voting for someone who is, uh, who represents individuals and knows their way around the, around the justice system um, and will be involved and will put, make paramount the rights and protections of individuals. Uh, for Attorney General, my view, Maura Healy knows this job better than anybody else, and Maura Healy is endorsing Andrea Campbell. I am also really uh, disturbed by the, not that she doesn't have the right to do it, by Shannon List Reardon spending uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars for her candidacy. Andrea Campbell is going to be an excellent attorney general should she make, that, make, make it to that position. So, everyone go vote. It's election day. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. It happens all over Massachusetts. In every home and every community. Be careful on your bike. Learning can happen anytime, anywhere. We'll see you at practice this weekend. And no matter how learning takes place in your family's life, Desi is there as your partner. The Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Never stop learning. Find out more at mass.gov slash back to school. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department for Elementary and Secondary Education. Minute Men football lives here. Olsen lops it. Josiah Johnson. Enzo. Touchdown. Massachusetts. Merriweather. Daylight. End zone. Touchdown. Ellis Merriweather from eight yards out. Follow the action all season long on your home for Minute Men football. The UMass Sports Network from Learfield. Touchdown. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHM. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, Northampton Radio Group Station. It's